morning, my name is Greg Vicaro. I'm one of the pastors here. And before we get started with our Easter um, series message today, I just need to have a little bit of a family time with you and, and unfortunately share some news that, that isn't uh, the best, okay? Um, a couple years ago, we had a family that was part of us, Schultz and Chantel, uh, Pierre-Louis. They moved to Connecticut. Many of you may know them. They were involved in small group here. They, they had three children. Um, unfortunately, their youngest son, Romeo, this past week, went to school like many of our kids do. He's five. And at recess, he fainted. And then his heart stopped, and he was without oxygen, and he was on life support fighting for his life. And I'm sad to say that he passed away this past week. So, I, you know, in, in talking with uh, Schultz and Chantel, and by the way, since Schultz left here, he now goes by Demza, which is his first name. Schultz was his middle name, so I'm going to now switch and refer to him as Demza and Chantel. Um, they said, Greg, you know what? Shiloh is still our home. We've not connected as much to a church here as we were connected at Shiloh. Could we come back and do the service at Shiloh? And I'm like, absolutely, what, whatever you need. So I, if you know them and, and you want to be a part of that, we're going to have a celebration of life service for little Romeo this Saturday at 11. So I just wanted to let you know that. I'll put out an email this week for anybody that, that wasn't able to be here. But um, could we just take a moment and pray for Demza and, and Chantel and their family? <laughs> Jesus, it, it is just a heartache beyond imagine to lose your son. But, Father, we know that you lost your son. Lord, you, you understand what they're going through. And, uh, Lord, I pray, as your word says, that you're the God of all comfort. Lord, we don't have words to share, but we can pray for your Holy Spirit to come and comfort them and give them your grace, Lord, and give them your peace. Lord, there, there's no answers right now for what happened um, Lord, I don't know that there will ever be an answer for the whys that we have. But, God, we trust you in the middle of that, and we pray your presence be upon them. Lord, would you carry them through this week as they do what they need to do and, and just survive? Lord, let us hold their hands up in prayer and let us hold them in our hearts. And we, we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you for that. Um, so this is the second week of our Easter series, Easter 22, 2022. Join us on the journey. Um, how many of you got a palm when you walked in? Yep, you can hold your palm up. You know, so why do we hand out palms? We hand out palms because this is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter. Um, now, in our series, we're not talking about Palm Sunday today. We talked about that last week. But, but we handed out palms for two reasons. One, because it reminds of us who Jesus is. And two, palms are really, really cool because you can turn them into crosses. So, I don't know, did anybody, anybody know how to do this? I see a cross there. Anyone else already turned a cross? I see a cross there. Nice. Anyone else? So, I don't know how to do this, but Marcus Molina, um, who I don't see here this morning, I'm disappointed. Marcus, I hope you're watching online. He did this for me last year. Marcus, I want you to do me another one because this one's getting a little crusty. It's been over my visor for a whole year just to remind me of the cross. So, we hand out palms more of, of tradition because this is Palm Sunday, but that's the last we're going to speak about palms, okay? Um, because last week when Josh was, was preaching, he talked about nine days before Jesus, when, he, when, when it started, he, I believe he started with a woman, that, woman Mary that came to where Jesus was dining and she broke a very, very expensive bottle of perfume, perfume and anointed him for his burial. 
And uh, he, he walked us through, and today we're going to talk about the cross, and, and we felt as leadership that we wanted to do, to talk about the cross on Palm Sunday, because most often we talk about Palm Sunday on Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday on Easter Sunday, and we never talk about the cross because it happened on a Friday. So we're talking about the cross this morning. This is so crucial and critical to our faith. It's important that we talk about it. So I'd like to just jump right in. The title of my message this morning is Eli, Eli. Lemma Sabachthani. So before we get to what it means, I, I just want to review some of the things of, that were happening uh, just as Jesus was, was coming to the cross. Josh mentioned last week that he was in the Mount of Olives where he was betrayed. His, his own disciple Judas betrayed him with a kiss. Like that's, if you've ever felt betrayed, Jesus understands that. But, but he was in the Mount of Olives, he was praying And he says to the Lord, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he tells his disciples, stay here and watch with me. So so what was Jesus so distressed about? You know, Jesus was fully God. He was fully man. He knew what was coming. It wasn't the pain of the cross that disturbed him the most. It was the fact that he was going to be separated from his father. But, But with that, he is overwhelmed with sorrow. He's wrestling. He's wrestling, and, and it says that what, what did he do while he was wrestling and overwhelmed? He prayed more fervently. You know, and, I, and as I saw that this week, I'm like, God, that's a message to me. It's a message to all of us. When we're overwhelmed with sorrow, pray more fervently. Go to the cross. Jesus, Jesus went to the Lord. He prayed, and it says he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And he even started to pray for a way out. Don't, don't we try to bargain with God sometimes? God, I'll do this if you'll do that, right? That's part of grief that we find bargaining comes in. And, and Jesus starts to, to pray to God, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But Lord, not my will, but yours be done. He, he ultimately surrendered to the Father. So he had a, a gut-wrenching sorrow, and after he's arrested, he's, he's betrayed, he's taken to the home of Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest. It's the middle of the night. Um, there's no sleeping going on. The disciples caught maybe an hour or two asleep while, the, while Jesus was praying, right? Remember, he's, he's like, can't you guys even wait with me for one hour? But he's not gotten any sleep. Now he's in front of Caiaphas. He's in front of all the high priests. And, and they're demanding that he tell them who he is. And, and finally, he, he says the words that... Um, uh, Jesus says to, to, to Caiaphas, you have said it, and in the future you'll see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. And Caiaphas just loses it. He tears his robe. He's like, blasphemy. And he's like, take him away. We're going to crucify him, right? The decision is made at the Jewish high council, but the Jewish high council has no power to crucify They've got to go to Rome. Rome is the one that's occupying the land. So they take Jesus at 6 in the morning to Pilate. I don't think he got any sleep all night long. I don't know if you've ever spent a sleepless night. Maybe you were driving all through the night. Maybe your kid was keeping you up. You're not at your best at 6 a.m., right? That's when you're feeling dog-tired and you want to go to bed. And now Jesus is, is ushered in front of Pilate. Pilate starts to talk with, to, to him um, and, and ask him questions, and he finds out that he's a Galilean. And he's like, ah, oh, got a way out. Galilee is under Herod's jurisdiction. Herod happens to be right here in Jerusalem. I'm going to ship you off to Herod. You're going to go see Herod. Jesus goes see Herod. Not much happens. Herod sends him back to Pilate. Pilate's like, why is this man? Why, why, are, you, 
why are you, you doing this to me? So um, the Jews accused Jesus in this kangaroo court that, that happened with, with Caiaphas and now before Pilate. And we're going to enter the story here in, in Matthew 27. And it says this, what shall I do then? Pilate speaking. What shall I do then with Jesus who's called the Messiah? Messiah, Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Now, if this is disturbing for you as you read it, I'm going to ask for a little bit of crowd participation this morning. And and I'm doing this for a reason that we all read this together. I'm going to read the white and I'm going to ask you to read the yellow. Because there's, some, there's a point I want to make with this. I, I know for some of you, you're like, Greg, I can't read that. No, I'm, I'm asking you to read it. It's important that we all read it. It's important that we, we just take a moment to experience this, right? So, so Pilate asks, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Why? What crime has he committed? As Pilate sees that he's, this is going nowhere in a hurry, a crowd, they're starting to riot. He takes water, he washes his hands, and he's like, look, this is not my doing. This is, this is what you're doing, right? I am innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. And all the people answered. How tragic. How tragic what was happening that day. Pilate felt powerless to stop it. There was a a train wreck coming. The high priests were encouraging all the crowd to to say what they were saying. And I and I thank you. It's it's hard to say those words. As I was as I was thinking about this, I was crying in my office, just trying to imagine what happened and the crowd and why would they say this. But then we get to as as they take Jesus. From this time, they, they scourge him, which is, is a whipping. I'm not going to go into the details. If you want to see a very graphic explanation, look at the Passion of the Christ, right? But they, they take Jesus, they scourge him, they lay his back open with a, a, whip, a whip that had metal balls at the end. Uh, he is bleeding. They put the crown on him, and he's got to take the cross beam now, and he's got to walk to the cross. The cross beam is about 75 to 125 pounds. He's walking, but he's unable to make it. So as he stumbles, they find another man named Simon of Cyrene. He walks the cross beam to, to the cross at Golgotha. They lay Jesus out. They nail his hands to the cross, to the cross beam. They nail his feet. And then they take that whole cross beam and they lift it up. And as it slides into the hole, just imagine when it jerks down into, into place, like everything just pulls on the nails that have just been placed in his body. It's excruciating that the Romans had perfected this torture. So Jesus in that moment, what are the first words that he says when he's on the cross? The first words are, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know, and I asked you to say the words, crucify him, crucify him, and let his blood be on us and on our children because I, this is personal. 
Jesus is a personal savior and he looks to each one of us and says, look, it's your sin that I'm taking to the cross. They had just, the whole crowd had just yelled, crucify him. And now he's speaking to the crowd, but more than the crowd, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me and he's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. There's such a power in this, like Jesus, it says in the word of God that he loved us while we were yet sinners. We don't deserve his love. There's nothing, there's not, this crowd just betrayed, Judas betrayed him, this crowd has betrayed him, this crowd that has been, some of them may be healed by him or seen healings, now is saying crucify him, and Jesus comes and forgives them. It's just, it's miraculous for how he does this and what he does. So as he's up on the cross, Jesus says these words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know, I, I believe going back to the, to the Mount of Olives, when Jesus was there and he was agonizing, I, I believe forgiveness is a decision. And, and it's a decision that we can make. It's, it's an act of our will. It's something that, that God gives us the grace to do. But when Jesus was agonizing in prayer, I'm sure he was agonizing over being separated from the Father. And I believe in my heart, he was making the decision on that night to forgive the next day. You know, and, and sometimes if, if there's been something in your heart where you have just been wronged, right? Just know decision, uh, forgiveness is a decision that we can make. I, I believe Jesus made that in the, in the garden. He did it through prayer. And the next day he was able to execute on that because it is just supernatural in that moment after you've just been laid out and, and crucified and you're, you're there dying to now forgive. So Jesus makes this decision. He says these words. A sign is fastened with the words, this is king of the Jews. And a darkness comes on the land. He's, he's crucified around 9. This is now 12 noon. A darkness comes on the land from 12 till 3. This is not any normal eclipse that we might have. Remember the eclipse a couple of years ago? What was it, five minutes or something? If you drove to a certain spot in the U.S. This is a three-hour darkness. Unprecedented before or after to have something like this. And then we find at about 3 o'clock... Jesus calls out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, and some of the bystanders there, they thought he was calling out for the prophet Elijah. So one of them runs and he gets a a sponge. He fills it with sour wine. He holds it to him on a reed so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. And in a few more minutes, Jesus shouts again and he releases his spirit. And he dies. So I want to just focus on this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some translations say, why have you abandoned me? Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Have you ever felt forsaken by God? Did, did God the Father really forsake Jesus? Did he abandon Jesus? Is that even possible that, that a father could abandon his own son and forsake his own son whom we, whom we love so much? Think about if you've got a kid. Like there's, there's no way you, you could ever do that as a parent. So if God is the perfect one, could he really forsake his own son? You know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience as a parent or maybe as a child when, when things kind of go sideways as, as the little ones uh, often do, right? Sometimes parents in their discipline will say, look, well, what I'm going to do is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Have, have you ever said that or have you ever heard that as a kid, right? Um, 
I'm sure God the Father was thinking that at this moment. Jesus, what's going to happen right now is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I don't know if they had any exchange or, or how they did it, but, but Jesus cries out, God, God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus became sin. He took the sin of the world on his shoulders. It wasn't just the sin of the people at the time that had just said, crucify him. It was all the people that had lived before then. It's my, you and my sin. It's all my grandkids sin, my great-grandkids that are not born yet. It's, it's the sin of the world that Jesus takes upon him. And God, as a righteous God, cannot stand sin. And he has to turn his back on Jesus and forsake Jesus in that moment. That's the only way that Jesus could become the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. See, in, in the Old Testament... It was an imperfect, an imperfect law, but the, the only way they could atone for sin was with a blood sacrifice of a lamb, a bull, or a goat. They would sacrifice hundreds of thousands of these over the years. And Jesus is the final sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In that moment, he is forsaken by God. So actually, it's, it's interesting. In this verse, Jesus is actually quoting an Old Testament psalm when he says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's Psalm 22 when David was crying out. And he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? In some translations and others, it says forsaken me. Why are you so far away when I groan for help? You know, and we can understand. I, I was reading this psalm not too long ago and, and texting some people about it that I'm in a texting group. And, and we were challenged with, does God abandon us? Is it just how we feel at times or does God really abandon us? And, and as I started to look at this psalm in, in, uh, in study for this Sunday, what I noticed is that this is called a messianic psalm. And it's one where David appears to be sharing maybe some vision that he is seeing and he's speaking what he's seeing and maybe also speaking a part of what he's feeling. But it's, it's more because as, as you look at this psalm, it goes on later in the psalm to say, I'm scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. What did they do to Jesus when he was on the cross? If you're the son of God, then come down off the cross and save yourself. You said you'd, you'd tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days and come down and, and save yourself. They, they jeered him. They mocked him. And David somehow is seeing this and saying this in Psalm 22, even to the point where in verse 18, it says, they divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing, which is what the soldiers did for Jesus. So there's something amazingly beautiful happening as David is seeing this vision, speaking this out, and now more than a thousand years later, it comes to pass. But it's, it's more than just what was happening here. Um, there's, something, there's something amazing going on, and, and we find it in 2 Corinthians 5. It's, I, I call it a divine substitution. I don't have another word for it, but it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So Jesus becomes our sin. Our sin's on the left. He's got his righteousness on the other side. He gives us his righteousness and he takes all of our sin. It's this amazing substitution. Like we have all won the lottery in spades. Right? We, are, we are sinners destined for hell. We owe a debt we cannot pay. And Jesus pays the debt for us with his own life and with his own blood. 
It's an amazing substitution that happens. Jesus takes our sin upon him. And as Jesus does this, Hebrews calls him our high priest. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the, pra- to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Right? And this is, this is a really, really powerful statement, that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet he did not sin. Because for, for Jesus to experience and become the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, he has to take all of our sin. And it's not just like, I'm thinking, okay, if he took all of my sin from when I'm born to when I'm going to be dead, that's enough. But then he took John's and he took Jerry's and he, he took all the world's sin on his shoulders in that moment. Jesus took it. And it says that because he became sin for us, now we can be made righteous and he can empathize. He understands what we're going through, right? So, so there's such a power in this. Think about for a minute, if Jesus took all of our sin, he understands what it feels like to be overwhelmed. He understands what it feels like to be tempted in, in one area or another, right? Isaiah is amazing because it says he not only took our sin, Isaiah says he, he took up our pain and bore our suffering, right? So Jesus takes our sin, but then he also takes our pain. He takes our suffering. He took it all to the cross. So, so think about a traumatic time perhaps in your life where something absolutely awful happened to you and you said, I don't understand why. Jesus understands. He took it. He took it to the cross. God, Jesus can relate. If you've, ever, if you've ever experienced trauma, maybe been raped, had awful things, Jesus can relate. Not because Jesus was raped, but because he took all of that on himself. He took our sin. He took our sorrow. He took our pain to the cross. What about relationship issues? right? Was Jesus ever married? No, he wasn't married. Does he understand marital conflict? Does he understand divorce? Of course he does. He was tempted in all ways. He took it all, all of it heaped on him in that moment. Jesus understands. he's, He's a high priest that can empathize with what we're going through, that we can look to him. And that's a very powerful thing. What about addiction? What about debilitating anxiety that you can't even get out of bed or depression? Right? Does Jesus understand? He took it all. He took, he bore your pain. He bore your suffering. He bore your sin. He took it all. He paid the price for it. So how do I put this? Jesus took all of my sin and sorrow because of why? His love for me. Right? Jesus knew and God knew, as, as, as Percy said, from the beginning of time, that our sin was going to separate us from him, and this was the plan for how God was going to get back into relationship with us. You know, some of you know, I've just come back from Kenya. I was visiting my son, Dan, his wife, Miranda, and family there. And, um, you know, a number of, a couple of months ago, some of their very, very closest friends were having their second child and they went to the hospital. It was the hospital where his mom had passed away. They, were, they knew it was a little girl. They were naming this baby girl after the mom. They get there. It's a joyous occasion. My, my daughter-in-law, Miranda, is there. She's the birth coach. And, and they're ready to rock and roll. And they have this baby. And the baby never utters a sound. It's a stillborn. It did not even have one breath when it came into this world. So they are just overwhelmed with grief. There's no words. Miranda's holding this stillborn. The the mom and the dad are there. They're holding this baby. They're overwhelmed with grief. 
we heard about it. We started to pray for them as a, as a Shiloh staff. And, and uh, when we're there, I'm like, Miranda, are we going to get a chance to, to visit with this couple? And she's like, I'm not sure they, they really want to see anybody right now. And, you know, we were there about 10 days. And, and uh, about seven days in, Miranda asked her, hey, would you like to meet with, with my, my, um, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law? I think it might be helpful. And the wife asked the husband, who's also a pastor, and, and they discussed it, and they said, yes, we would do it. So our last night there, we're able to meet with them and, and just hear their hearts and cry with them. And, you know, what I heard from Yoli was this, that she felt abandoned by God. She felt like, God, where was the heads up? Like, couldn't you have told me that my baby would die? Like, I don't understand, God, why my baby? In her grief, it was overwhelming. So as we talked, as we prayed, she said she started to, to better understand this, this word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that Jesus said on the cross, because she felt forsaken by God. You know, and, and as we, we talked and we, we dug into that, I said, you know what, Yoli, there is one big difference. You felt forsaken by God. You felt abandoned. I hear you in saying that. But Jesus was forsaken. Jesus was abandoned. Like the, the truth of the word says this, that I will never leave you or forsake you is what, is what God's word says. So, so whether you ever have felt abandoned, forsaken, denied, you know, forgotten, Jesus took that on the cross. That we might feel it, but it's not happening to us because God's word says that I will never leave you or forsake you. And, and in that moment when she understood that, okay, there is a grief and there's who she is as a person, and they're separate. It was like a, an aha moment for her that, oh my gosh, this feeling of overwhelming grief, that's not me. It feels like it's become her, but it's not me. We could separate them, and we could say, okay, feelings aren't right or wrong. To feel it is just a feeling. It's what do we do with our feelings? And we could take that grief and offer it to God and start to, to, to take the first steps of healing so it, it was just a powerful time, but I, as I say that uh, about what happened there, I, I want it to be powerful in your life and my life that we can understand if we've ever felt like God hasn't understood us or he's abandoned us or he's forgotten us or forsaken us, we just feel that. Jesus actually experienced it. We only feel it. So in the middle of this, there is good news, and that's how I'm going to end today. I'm not going to leave us <laughs> with the cross. I'm, I'm going to tell you what happens because of the cross. It's, it goes on in Hebrews 4 to say, Then let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Do you ever see a little, you know, a boy or girl, maybe your son or daughter or someone in, in children's ministry, and like they've done something wrong, what do they do? They kind of hang their head, right? And they kind of walk like this. And God's saying, no, I, I know that you're a sinner. I loved you when you, we were yet a sinner. My, my righteousness and my salvation has now covered. My blood of Jesus has covered you. I've exchanged your sin for my righteousness. So now you come in confidence to my throne room to receive what? To receive mercy, to find grace to help in our time of need. You know, as I looked at this scripture, I thought about receiving something, right? How, how many of us would say, this is the posture I need to have to receive something, right? It's just not going to work. I, I can't receive God's love with a hard heart. I, I can only receive God's love with an open heart to say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. I'm frail. I'm human. But Lord, I'm here. 
could I receive your love today? But, but as I open up my heart to him, I can receive God's love. So that's what I approach his throne of grace with, that I may receive mercy, and then that I might find grace to help in our time of need. So one of the things that, that you might, may or may not know about me is that I lose things a lot, right? I, I lose my car keys. I lose my glasses. I'm just going to do a, a quick... Um, commercial. So I've found these things called tiles, right? So you can put them on your your car keys and they connect to your phone. And when you lose something, you go into the app and it rings, right? So so that's the way I do it. But but imagine I'm sitting at my kitchen table and I can't find my glasses. And I'm like, oh, doggone it again. I lost my glasses. Where are my glasses? And I'm thinking, where are my glasses? I'm asking everybody, but I'm still sitting at the kitchen table. Am I going to find my glasses if I stay seated? No. What do I got to do? Find is kind of an action word. I, I got to get off my butt and I got to start looking. Okay, is it in the living room? Is it in the office? Is it upstairs in the bedroom? I, I got to start searching the house. And, and now I just ring my tie and I listen, you know, boop, doo-doo-doo-doo. and okay, there it is. I hear the sound and I go find my glasses. <laughs> but what are we going to do? What's the action that we take to find grace to help us in our time of need? You know what? There's needs we have. Each one of us has needs. You can sit at the kitchen table and expect to find grace. You can pray for grace, but it says you've got to find grace. Like get up, go and do something to have grace, to to find God's grace. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? So here's my offer to you as we close in prayer. If you're at a place where you need to come to God to receive mercy, you want to find grace to help in time of need, We're going to close here in prayer. It's not going to be extended, but I'm going to invite you, take an action to find grace. Would you come down and just kneel with me here at the altar? Uh, Right now, if, if you want to find mercy, if you want to receive mercy, if you want to find grace, I'm inviting you, just come to the altar. It's just a simple expression that we can take. It's nothing magical about coming here versus staying in your seat, but yet it says, find grace. And I want to just underscore this, okay, if you're looking for something, you don't stay still. You don't stay in your seat. You got to go. You got to find it. God sees our heart as we take an action. So as we close in prayer, if you'd like to come up, feel free to come up. So Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for the cross. Lord, I thank you for what Jesus took to the cross. He, he took my sickness. He took my pain. He took my sorrow. He took my sin. He paid the price, past, present, and future for, for everything that we have ever done. He took it all upon himself. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And God, it says that as he he took that, Lord, that he became my high priest. He became our high priest. That he's a high priest that can empathize with us. He understands what we're going through. And Jesus, you say in your word that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence because of the blood of Jesus. That we might receive mercy And we might find grace to help in our time of need. So, Lord, I pray for each of us. Lord, those that have come and and taken a posture of kneeling. Lord, those that just in their seats have a a posture in their heart before you, Lord, that we want to receive your mercy today, God. We open up our hearts to receive it, God. Lord, we search. We look for your grace. Lord, your grace to help us in our time of need. And Lord, I pray your grace on Demza and Chantel. I pray your grace on each one here. Lord, you and only you alone understand each of our hurts, each of our sorrows, the pain, the tragedy that we've borne in our lives, God. But you have borne it all on the cross. 
So we receive that grace to help us in our time of need. And Lord, I pray that grace would come like rain now in Jesus' name, Lord, that that you have provided a way, Lord. You provided that peace that passes understanding, God. Lord, you have provided that grace to sustain us and to help us and to carry us through, Lord. And, And you say in your word, Lord, it is not our destiny to be in a valley. Lord, but you are there with us when we're in the valley. So we thank you for that, Lord. We praise you, Lord Jesus. And we, we pray all these things in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for being here. If you would like prayer, please come forward. If you're online, please send us an email at prayer at shallowcommunity.church. God bless.